Welcome to Becoming Parents Podcast. I'm Jen Taylor, your host. I am mom of 18, and you can find me on momsrunningit.com. Remember, give a shout out to those who are brave enough to share their stories with us on how they have become parents. Let's dive right in. Welcome to Becoming Parents. Today, I have Joseph Galata on, and it's interesting because I know you personally. How are you today? Well, as I always say, because my life is just so filled with action that the greatest achievement I have in life is that I'm still sane. So it's early in the morning and I'm looking Mm -hmm. forward to keeping my sanity by the end of the day. You do so many things and I was going to wait to talk about business till the end, except it weaves into your entire story and you've done some really new things in the last couple of years. So we'll see how that all weaves in, but didn't you just go, you, you flew overseas somewhere, didn't you? In the last two years, I've been living in Reno and in overseas, um, which is a long story, but I've been at times in Istanbul and other, which actually in a way has to do with parenting. And then most of the time living in gorgeous, beautiful Dubai, which really has a lot to do with parenting. Uh, from the sense of, of happiness versus sadness, um, and then back and forth from Reno. And, and that. so, yeah, it's been, it's been two years of major um, action is the best word. That's a great word because busy makes me feel stressed, but action does not. So yeah. I think that's awesome. Take us back to you have three kids and you mm-hmm. spent most of the time as a single dad. Right. So tell me your journey in becoming a parent. You know, I never uh, thought it would happen. Um, I I don't want to bring up too much about the past, but of course we carry the past into our lives. I didn't have good role models for parents and and there was a lot of poverty, a lot of mental illness. And so um, it it was something that I thought perhaps I was never capable of. And then growing Mm -hmm. up in international dance companies and theater companies, uh, that was my life. And so I thought, well, you know, if I have shows every night, who's going to be home to take care of kids? And, and as you well know, the world of media and creativity is so sporadic and no stability. But when I was, uh, I was living in Israel and uh, I came back to America and was living on an Indian reservation and decided uh, uh, it was time. I wanted children. So I, I of course, got married and a wonderful woman from Iran. And um We were married and it was a good marriage. And then after 17 years, it ended. Uh, And then the kids pretty much lived with me um, for for a lot of different reasons, only for. But um, I I remember the moment. I remember the moment, Jen, living in actually Salem, Massachusetts, when we just got married, when the doctor said uh, we were going to have a, a baby, our first. And I always think of that moment and think I abs- my soul, if my spirit, did a somersault, like in the Olympic gymnastics. And I thought my whole life is going to change because I'm either going to be a really dysfunctional parent or going to be the best I can Mm -hmm. and what I learned with three children and what I'm most proud of and I think my kids would agree they're all grown healthy successful doing exactly what each one of them wanted to do I think what they would agree with is that I never ever ever asked them or demanded them to design their lives around my schedules I 
designed my life, my schedules around their lives and their needs. So for from the age of five until he graduated from high school, my son was, his passion was soccer. I never in 12 years missed a soccer game. Every other night was soccer practice, uh, sometimes four teams simultaneously. Every weekend we were traveling, well, not every weekend, but so many weekends during soccer season, we were traveling Los Angeles, Utah, Oregon for soccer. Um, that, that was what is my greatest uh, pride is that I was there for them and, and I was encouraging and I was supportive, which I could not have been if I had followed the patterns of my childhood. Absolutely. And then each one of your kids, is, I mean, they're like every kid. It's so shocking when you have kids and you have one and you're like, oh, that's a unique personality. And then you have another one. And it's a totally different, unique personality. At what point did you switch your career to line up? Because I know what you do and I've known, I, like, how long have you been with SAF? Well, I've been there 13 years. But my career changed when I moved here to Reno. Yeah, uh, okay. And, and again, that goes to parenting because I never had any plans to move to Reno. I lived all over the world. But my wife had a sister here. And when my wife got pregnant with our first daughter, I knew she needed support coming yeah. from Iran and her family back east. Um, so we moved here. Um, and then I worked. I went to school. I uh, became a, a teacher, a counselor. I was faculty at the university. I worked with kids in the job corps. I was director of substance abuse. I had a theater program. I had a television pro series. Um, uh, then I was director of, of a hospice foundation, and I worked in a charter high school as a specialist. And then I became the executive director of Sierra Association of Foster Families. Um, so again, I, there were times, I mean, I fully admit there were times when I just missed performing. I missed being with theater people. I missed that, that uh, interaction with adults that was a part of my community growing up for so long. But then when my da middle daughter, we called them, um, they, they would come, all the cheerleaders, and they stayed at my house practically every weekend. And um, it, that, would, that became my community uh, as yeah. the girls one by one on Saturday mornings would come down with their pillows and their blankets and say, see you next week, Joseph. Thank you, Joseph. That became my community. And even though I missed, I missed my own adult community of, of creative people, I... I was happy that my, I was able to give my daughter the community that she needed. Uh, plus I had great people at the university. I thought my students adored me. I of course adored them. Um, working in hospice, especially with terminally ill children was the most meaningful aspect of my life. And then once again, I saw the grief that parents go through when they lose a child, when they're watching a child pass away. I saw how uh, children, teenagers, young adults um, were joining street gangs or had joined street gangs or trying to get out of street gangs. But, the, but their motivation for being in street gangs is that they needed a sense of belonging mm -hmm. and their parents weren't giving them a sense of belonging. Um, I'll tell you this, I, I, 
I've had over 20,000 young students. And when I was in the medical clinic up at the Job Corps on behalf of UNR, and I would do the assessments of the students, and these were students from all over the, the, the United States who were at very difficult lives. And I would ask each kid, how would you change, how would you uh, treat your children differently than your parents treated you, considering the fact that you have a drug problem or you're, you know, all of this. And each one, I lied to you, not Jen, each one said in one way or another, I will make my kids observe traditions, rituals, and laws. And that stunned me every single time because when we don't give those to our kids traditions and rituals and laws, they don't get a sense of belonging. Right. They don't get a sense of belonging to a culture, to a family, to a heritage, to a future. So, um, and then being with staff, Sierra Association of Foster Families, of course I see parenting all the time because you're dealing with kids who are in foster care whose biological parents are struggling with mm-hmm. again, drugs or homelessness or in prison. But I always say those parents, from what I've seen, the majority love their kids. So many people would say to me, well, if they love their kids more than they love their drugs. No, 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 no. Drugs is a disease. Their kids aren't a disease, you know? Um, And then foster parents, you know, you've been there for so long. There are magnificent foster parents. And then there are those that don't do much harm. And then there are those who I wouldn't give a license to train a parakeet for. But nevertheless, that's another story. That is another story. Right. But (laughs) I and I think it's interesting that you took like you you took teaching as your profession in one way or another. Right. And you were constantly working with kids as a parent. And to feed, in my opinion, you have fed some of your creativity personally by pouring into all of those kids as a a play director. I mean, that's what I've seen in the last decade, right? I I used to make all of my students um, memorize a mantra, for lack of better words. And that, I have a choice in life. I can be creative or I can be destructive but I can't yeah. be both in the same lifetime. And so my, I use dance, theater, storytelling, music, writing, photography, visual arts, painting for them to discover their creativity. That's what they needed. To, they, these kids needed to discover, I am a creative thinker. I just was doing this with a young man in war-torn Gaza. In war-torn Gaza, where they're bombing, where they their family makes $150 a month to live on. And something went wrong for him uh, intellectually. He flunked high school and that was, and, oh, it was just terrible. And people were making him ashamed of himself. And I gave him a job. I said, I'm working on a video about food mm-hmm. and work. I want you to go out in Gaza and film uh, vendors, because they don't have grocery stores, vendors, right. food, cooking uh, and he did and we made a video and when we sent it to him and his family it went all over gaza and now this kid was beaming is i am a filmmaker so where's he what's he want to do now now he wants to be a filmmaker right it's 
about that, you know, discovering that creativity. When my middle daughter said to me when she was nine years old, uh, for Christmas, she wanted a camera. I bought her a camera every Christmas after she wanted a camera. What did she end up doing? She went to college to become a professional photojournalist and a photographer. Uh, that's, you know, and, and, and all of this. So that to me is, is, is so much about my journey as a parent. I let my kids and my students discover the creativity in them. And it's so crazy because until you have exposure to something, you don't know if you like it or not. And so I did the same thing as you did. Pretty much anything my kids were interested in, I tried to get them into. And if they liked it, that was great. And if they didn't, they at least tried. And when they went to college, I hate this. You need to figure out what you want to be for the rest of your life and get on this track in college. <laughs> because I'm, I'm almost 52. I don't, want to, I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. I mean, you know, you, it's hard to figure all of that out at such a young age. And I tell my kids, pick business pick admin, like pick something innocuous and take every single class you think is interesting. Take a yoga class, take photography class, take everything that's interesting. I don't care if you have too many credits in one area or another area, you don't know what you like until you are exposed to it. And so I love that you, you've done the same thing. You've tried to expose the kids to everything. And you're right, the traditions and the purpose, kids, adults, don't feel good about themselves a lot of the time. Yeah. When my daughter, she is a perfectionist. And um, so growing up, uh, she wanted everything to be perfect. So she started to study the violin and I took it away from her because she would cry at every practice at home because it wasn't perfect. But I let her do it for a while. And then she turned to cello and the perfectionism dropped a little, but she still had that, I have to be the best celloist in the world. But I, you know, and she was doing good. But then she discovered speech and debate because she had grown up watching me speaking on stages right and left, right. seminars and workshops and speeches. And she went into speech and debate for two years in high school, she was a champion speech and debate kid. I never missed, I never missed a speech and debate tournament, whether it was in Elko or Runamaka or Las Vegas or Reno, it didn't matter. And she and and, and she ended up getting a scholarship as a high school student to Yale for a summer to study speech and debate. And that changed her life uh, because she always thought she would go into music or something. Now, what is she? She's a district attorney. She, she speaks in front of judges and jurors. So it was about, you know, watching and monitoring and letting her experiment until she found what was healthy for her. Yeah. That, thing, that, that healthiness for her. So all my kids are healthy and, and successful, thank goodness, because they were given all of that. We have rituals, we have traditions, we have heritage. Um, and we had laws. My kids had laws. Uh, you know, I wasn't strict, strict. They'll tell you I wasn't a strict disciplinarian. My students will certainly tell you I was not a strict disciplinarian. My classes were like, you have the right to speak as long as you don't put anybody down, including yourself. You cannot put yourself yep. down. But other than that, we had freedom in my classroom and the principal loved it. I can do anything charter high school. And my, my director and my dean at the university and at Job Corps just were, you know, my kids it, it, for nine years, not my kids, my students for nine years, uh, kids who were kicked out of schools um, 
we, we worked on video projects and theater plays. And for nine years in a row, they were the, the Nevada champions for Nevada History Day, beating out other high school kids. And I, for nine years in a row, I took them to Washington, D.C. Uh, to perform, to compete. And these are kids that were kicked out of traditional public schools because they found their passion, not only for creativity, but their passion for the subject they wanted to be creative about. Yeah. So. It's so crazy, the stuff that you do sometimes as a parent that you, that I like, I don't, when you have adult kids, there are things that I don't even remember. And one of my five long-term kids, she came to me when she was 10 and she, pretty much aged out with me and she's 33 now with four of her own kids and she said one time we were in the car on the way home from grocery shopping and she said I I've always wanted to climb that hill but I don't think I can and we dropped the groceries off and I told her to get back in the car and we drove there and I said climb the hill and she did I don't remember that I don't remember mm. doing that but if we and I'm sure I missed way more opportunities like that than I captured because we get busy and we don't always hear what they're saying, but it doesn't even take a lot to make a significant difference. No, no, it, it really is so uh, easy. If you, are, if you are consistent in listening to your yeah. kid, and if you're consistent in um, really being uh, cognizant of one major goal is that you want them to have a good, solid identity. That to me is, is, is as a kid, and I'm gonna go back to my childhood, I, my parents, in, until they discovered I had the gift of dance, I did not have a, a, a good identity as a child. Right. I, I didn't fit in to where we lived. I didn't fit into the family dynamics. I was the oddball, I was the weirdo. I was told over and over and over by so many, I was never gonna to amount to anything. I was hopeless and that came from my parents too. Um, but when they discovered I had the gift of dance, then it changed. But by then uh, I was already plotting to leave home, <laughs> which I did at the age of 15. But, uh, but I, that was my big struggle. And I think we all go through that in life at different times and moments. What is my identity? Who am I? Mm. But I would tell you, I have done so much. United Nations, all the things we talked about, television, I did that for years. I have a podcast series for children. Yes. So much. But, but my identity, my identity is father. Now it's additional identity of papa, grandpa. I love that. And you know what, Jen, I say my children are my meaningfulness of life. My grandchildren are my legacy. And I know you understand yep. that. When I look at my grandchildren and think, you know, I'm 70 years old. You know, when I'm not here any longer, they will be, and they will have children and they will have grandchildren and they won't yeah. know who I am. But I know my grandkids will tell them stories <laughs> about Papa. I know that. And so I, it's a comfort to think, oh, 30 years from now, I will have great grandchildren or great grandchildren that didn't know me, but they will know of me. Yeah. You know, it's that storytelling. It's passing on that storytelling. And if I can give one piece of advice, parents, grandparents, grandparents, 
Record your stories. Look what oh. Jen doing. Record your stories, whether yes. on your telephone, your laptop, in a pen, on a paper, in a notebook. Storytelling is the connection. It, so grandparents especially, write your stories for your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren and your great-great-grandchildren. You don't, I always say to my kids, my students, you don't know who you are if you don't know from where you come. And you can't know that unless you know where you're going. Yeah. I want to transition in. You raised these three beautiful human beings and I've followed you for almost a decade. And they all are adults now. Yes. So you had to transition to having no children and you've mentioned grandchildren. <laughs> so then you transitioned into grandchildren and you have the best pictures ever on online of playing with your grandchildren and you're supporting, I see you supporting your grandchildren the same way you supported your children and you support the kids in foster care with the things that you're, you used your students. So over time, even though you've had different job titles, You've always been a teacher to children in one capacity or another, and you treat them all the same. So let's talk about that empty nest and then moving into grandkids. That was the, the, one of the most difficult times for me was mm. the empty nest syndrome. It's real. And it's real for fathers, too. So many times yeah. you hear empty nest syndrome and people say, oh, it doesn't really exist. I can't wait till my kids leave. I'm going to have such a good time. Or it's, a, it's something that affects moms. As a dad, I can tell you that empty nest syndrome was life-changing because I had three kids as a single dad. And every weekend, every night, and every day. And when suddenly I took my, when I took my uh, son upon graduating from high school. Yeah all the way to, to Southern California from Reno to go to college. I left him at college and he said to me, when we moved into his dorm, he said, dad, this is the beginning of a major chapter in my life. And I suddenly thought, and it's the end of mine. Mm -hmm. I will always be your father, but I won't be a day-to-day -day daddy. I drove home and you know, you've driven from Los Angeles all the way to Reno. It's a long journey. Yeah. And I, Asked every soccer field on a Saturday from Southern, <laughs> Middle, Central, and I, I, when I got to Auburn, I pulled over to the road and just sobbed like a baby because I came home to an empty house and it was for five years. It took five years of me redesigning so much of my life. And I did, but it took time. And it was so much about what do I want to do with the remainder of my life? What should I do? What can I do? And, it, and so I went back to performing and traveling the world, London, Los Angeles, New York City, writing shows, performing plays, uh, doing it about health, about children, um, and having a grand time. But I went back to, uh, like, for instance, um, on Saturday mornings, I would get up and I would drive to Sacramento to see my kids, my grandson, then my granddaughter play soccer. Uh, I'm going to dance recitals, Halloween, Christmas, Thanksgiving, but every Saturday, you know, oh, a soccer game here, oh, a softball game here, oh, a basketball game here. And then my other two grandchildren live in Los Angeles and that became harder. Uh, but now I've reached this point where I'm 70 years old, I just turned 70. I have the energy of a hyperactive 18 year old. Um, and now 
it's different for me. Now it's, um, I, have other th- I have other things that I need to do, I want to do. And so that's why I travel back and forth from the Middle East to America. And my grandchildren understand that I'm not gonna, Papa's not at every soccer game or every basketball game, um, but thank goodness we have uh, FaceTiming. So, you know, that goes on constantly. And, um, but again, it's about, it's about that transition of life and how do, how do you transition? Um, so the emptiness syndrome, it is real. It is, it is a painful reality of, but then you take advantage of it, of what do I wanna do now that I have time for myself? And um, so, yeah, I'm still in transition. And I'll say one thing, when you were talking earlier about, you know, uh, I always uh, say, hey, I'm 70 years old. And what do I want to be when I grow up? You know, I don't know what I'm going to do when I'm 73. I don't know what I'm going to do when I'm 76, if I'm around or 85. But you can't say to a kid, okay, you need to be a doctor or you need to be a custodian or you need to be a chef or you need to be a nurse. And that's what you're going to do the rest of your life. You can't do that. There's that then self-discovery ends. And isn't that the purpose of life to some degree is self-discovery? Absolutely. And I think it's interesting, the word reinvent, you know, I'm going to reinvent myself. No, you're not. It's a constant, it's not static. No. You know, it's not like you do it and you do it and then you decide to change and you do this and you do it. It's very fluid. And so yeah. where some people may look and see that you're doing all these different things, they're spokes of the same wheel. They're, they're all really, con- they're all connected and it's not reinventing. You're just, you're discovering different things or it's a different season of life. Um, and a lot it's, of people go through that. You know, sometimes you think your favorite color is red and then your favorite color is orange or blue. That's right. light, you know, yeah. and like changing, but nothing ever disappears. There's a part of, you know, I hear from my students, I'll give you a story mm. real fast, real fast. I, I have a private telephone number because everybody, and one day on a Saturday morning, I, a call came and it was from a young lady who said, I was your student 36 years ago. Do you remember me? And I said, actually, I do. And she said, yes, the school was going to kick me out and I was a troublemaker and you fought for me. You taught me how to be creative, blah, 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 blah. And I said, how did you get my number? And she said, don't worry about it. And I said, where are you? She said, I'm at the airport. I'm flying to New York. I'm now a speech maker and a workshop seminar uh, facilitator. And I have a master's degree in uh, pediatric nursing. And I said, oh my gosh, I'm so proud of you. She said, yes, but I needed to tell you something. Sometimes when you were talking to me 36 years ago or you were teaching, you didn't make any sense to me. Then somebody just said something to me last week and I said something in return. And what I said was something you used to say all the time. And I thought, I understand it now. It took 36 years to understand what you were trying to tell me. And I'm sitting here at the airport realizing if you hadn't said that to me over and over and over, I wouldn't be here. I might be in prison. I might be on the street, Mm. drug addict. You, just by what you said, it just took 36 years for me to say thank you. That's a true story. You yeah. never know. You never know. 
No, you don't. And I, I used to speak and talk about my third grade teacher and what I, an absolutely pivotal difference she made in my life. And then I realized she was the only one that didn't know and the only one that should know. And so I found her 22 years ago. Yep. And I flew back to Rhode Island and she was teaching third grade in the same school and she didn't remember me, which made me realize that you can, what an enormous difference you can make in someone else's life, often with in passing, without ever knowing it, without that person or situation being like specifically standing out in your mind, just in passing. She, you know, she, it's incredible. That, that's so beautiful because mm -hmm. when I'm director of a hospice foundation and I was training people to be volunteers or whatever, and family members of the, the dying, I would say the one thing you can do best for them is to help them validate their lives. We need to be validated. And when you are on your last journey in this world, you need to know that you made a contribution to somebody's life, that you did something, that you were here and you, are, you graced the world even for a little bit. I could tell you stories about that up one right after another of people who were dying, who nobody validated. And you come along and when you validate them by listening to their stories, asking them to tell their stories, and then you validate them, they die with peacefulness and joy. And I'm gonna bring that back to parenting. You don't right. know how parents, people who were terminally ill, who said they wish they had not made mistakes. And I said, we all make mistakes. And they would say, but the biggest mistake I made is my daughter hasn't talked to me in 20 years. My son hasn't talked to me in 10 years. Uh, grudges. I wish I never would have fought with my kids because I've lived 20 years without them or 15 years without them or eight months without them. And at times I also saw kids, grown adults say, I wish I would have made peace with my mother before she died. I wish I would have told my father, I forgive him before I die, he died. So again, it comes back, parents, grandparents, share your stories, validate your lives and validate the lives of your parents, your grandparents, your kids, your grandkids. But that's what we're here for. We're here to continue. You know, uh, energy scientists will tell us, energy never dies energy never dies so thoughts and emotions and memories are energy i do a lot of work with alzheimer's people people with alzheimer's i have a theater show a one-man theater show called papa come dance with me again yeah. where i play i play a children's television host uh, like Mr. Rogers, who has Alzheimer's, and it's all about memories. I just did it for kid, for professors at the School of Medicine. Uh, it's about go into the minds of someone who has Alzheimer's, because back there is still the spirit, is the creativity, and get them to tell you their stories, even if some of those stories don't make any sense. In their own way, they make sense to them. I love working with Alzheimer's patients and people and with their family members and their caregivers. And I, and again, it goes back to using the arts. I say, use the arts with them. Put on music and dance. Tell the stories. Ask your father, what was his favorite Christmas carol? Ask your mother, make Hanukkah donuts. You know, ask them, ask them, validate them, validate them. 
we're doing that with my grandmother right now. She's 94 and we've been meeting. She got really sick two years ago during COVID, not with COVID, but just she was 92. So we started having Zoom meetings because everyone's kind of scattered and I record them and we ask her questions. And what we'll do with that, I don't know. I mean, it would be great if you could transcribe it all and create a little book. I created a book for my great grandmother because she made such an impact in my life. But we're at least trying to collect her stories because she'll say I, her short-term memory is not good anymore, but her long-term memory is perfect. So you, it's even capitalizing on, you know, what they remember and how you can capture that. I think it's amazing. Joseph, thank you so much for being on today. You're a delight. You're absolutely, and you're, I, you know how much I admire you for what you've done in raising kids. I mean, and now oh. grandma. But you have just brought so much meaningfulness and, and beauty and safety into so many kids' lives. And now you're doing the podcast. I mean, you and I discovered this podcasting pretty much at the same time. And, and what a joy. What a creative moment. Right? It uh, it's fun. It's, it's fun. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Thank you. Be safe.